0: Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Bruce.
1: And I'm Josh, and we're your Farm Management hosts. Let's get started.
0: Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Hey, uh, Josh, I was uh, thinking it's midsummer here, and I'm not necessarily cold, but I was thinking of winter, and I don't have all my firewood cut yet. Uh, Some of it's done, I did in the spring, but I got a little bit yet to go. Uh, What keeps you warm in the winter?
1: Bruce, I don't know how you're talking about staying warm when it's 90 degrees outside this week. i it's, it's been a hot one down here, but yeah, cutting firewood. I'm used to it with my buddies. We went out and cut firewood. I know we never did it the right way, um, but we cut it and we'd use it and we'd he'd heat the house with it.
0: So I was just going to add that when I cut firewood, I'm typically just cleaning up my woods. I, I have uh, about 12 to f- 13 acres of woods that is adjacent to cropland and so there's trees that come down in a wind, winter storm or age and I, I i'm selecting the ones that just need cleaned up i, I don't find myself cutting green wood i'm just kind of keeping things cleaned up and it's not too bad because a lot of the times it's drier when i go to cut it and it's kind of more ready for the heating in the winter time so i don't uh not necessarily selling timber but i certainly utilize the great resource of our firewood that my woods provides our family
1: right and being down here in southeastern ohio we have a lot of woodlands down here um so farm management really when we're talking about our farms down here we also think about woodland management so with woodland management we have one of our state specialists here from osu extension dave absley dave would you like to introduce yourself
2: thanks josh and bruce um again i'm dave Absley i'm a natural resource specialist with ohio state university extension and I mainly work um, with partners to try to help woodland owners manage their woods. So, you know, managing their woods for whatever their goals and objectives are is what I try to do. Been with extension for about 23 years and love to work in the woods. Um, when Bruce mentioned the firewood, uh, there's the old saying that firewood heat you twice, right, Bruce? <laughs> so it heats you while you're producing it, which this time of year is not the best, but it also heats you later in the winter. And I love, heating with firewood as well. So it actually can be a good tool if you're cutting live trees and the right trees to thin and manage your woods. So if you're marking the trees to keep, you could actually use firewood cutting as a great tool to get some other benefits for the woods.
0: So Dave, up in Northwest Ohio, we of course experienced the loss of our ash trees. And so it seemed like I was cutting a lot of ash and and still have elm trees that uh, decline uh, and then die. And so uh, it's still a great uh, natural resource uh, that I feel like I'm utilizing it, other th- rather than just letting it go to waste, per se.
2: Right. I'll tell you one thing with ash, and I would be super cautious: is cutting dead standing ash trees can be very dangerous. So. If you're not really experienced with that, sometimes it's best to get someone else to drop them or to just let them fall on their own because um, you can't really predict how they're going to come down and it could be a real safety issue.
1: Now, Dave, we're talking about where we're cutting firewood and using it for ourselves. Why would we sell timber? Why wouldn't we just use the wood that we cut for ourselves?
2: So selling timber can be a really good way to, especially if you're a farmer, and I think that's the audience of this podcast, it, it's a it's a good resource, the timber is an asset that you have on the farm, and if you manage it properly, um, which can include a timber harvest, you can get lots of benefits. One, obviously the income from the timber sale, and that's why most people sell it, but you can also get other benefits and enhance wildlife habitat, uh, the beauty of the woods, the health of the forest through harvesting timber. So you can, in this case, kind of have your cake and eat it too.
0: So why do people even own woods to begin with. I mentioned that our woods was just attached to some cropland. I'm in Northwest Ohio. It's a, you know, different regions of Ohio probably have different, maybe reasons for owning woods, Dave.
2: When you talk to woodland owners and the U.S. Forest Service does a woodland owner survey, we ask woodland owners that question all the time when we have workshops. And when you ask that question, selling timber does not come up in the top 10. Usually it's, it's further down the list. Um. But oft- oftentimes it's just, it's there. It's part of the farm. We don't even think about it being there. For others, it's, I like to hunt and fish. For many, it's, I like to live in the seclusion of a woods. So there's lots of reasons. And it var- it's as variable as the people that own the woods. But um, timber harvesting is usually not a super high priority for many. But yet a lot of them harvest timber. And we can talk about that more as we go throughout the day.
1: So you'd say you wouldn't use your your woodlands as like a pasture for any livestock, would you?
2: Not normally. No, there may be some reasons. I highly recommend that you exclude livestock from the woods and not let them indiscriminately graze. I understand the shade side of things, and potentially you could use the woodland edges or trees out in the pasture for that shade. But normally grazing in the long haul is not a good thing for the woods.
0: When we talk about a woods, I mean, you talk about different Tree species? How do we? I mean, I guess it's an inventory of an asset. When we think of farms, we have all these assets, and maybe it's a machinery lineup, maybe it's uh, livestock numbers. How might we, you know, consider looking at a woods from an inventory standpoint?
2: What I highly recommend is most woodland owners, if you own anything more than a, an acre or two, is to get a professional forester on the ground with you to walk those woods and see what its potential is. Um, you may be shocked at how much value you have out there and that you could get a an income, obviously not an annual income from timber harvest, but a long-term sustainable income from that woods and still have a healthy woods um, and actually improve the quality of the woods with the harvest. But really a professional forester on the ground is is an ideal way to start get a good management plan so that it's compatible with you and your your goals for that woods. And usually ODNR, Division of Forestry, has service foresters, and that would be a great place to start.
1: Now, Dave, with all this forester talk, it sounds like they're going to be doing a lot of work on my lands. How much is that going to cost me in the long run, having them come out and look at you know all, all the different types of trees, marking every single tree?
2: So service foresters are employed by the state of Ohio, so they do provide service To you as a landowner for free. Um, When it comes to a timber sale, typically you're going to go towards a forestry consultant. And typically with a timber sale, they work on a commission as part of that sale. So it is some money out of your pocket at the time of the harvest, but in general, they're going to get you more income and and you'll come out ahead financially if you work with with a consulting forester.
0: So, what's your day-to-day job, Dave? That relates to uh, this type of work, and and uh, you know, considering landowners making good decisions about. You mentioned a timber management plan. Right. So, what is involved in a management plan? It's probably more than just calling somebody up and say, "Hey, I own a woods. Can you come price it?"
2: Type. Thing. Yeah, so the pricing could be part of it, but a plan is really. Getting an inventory of what you've got. So you might take a woodland property and divide it into what we call stands, which are kind of the equivalent of your farm fields. You know, every place in the woods, typically if you own more than 10 acres, it's not all uniform. And due to past land use history or maybe the soil and site conditions or whatever, that part of your woods may need a different type of management. So a lot of times they're going to start out mapping your woodlands, creating these stands and determining... Based on your objectives as a woodland owner, what's best for that woods? Does it make sense to do a harvest? If it's a young woods, it may not be in the picture for decades, but sitting down and figuring out you as a landowner, what you're trying to accomplish and matching that with what you've got on the ground. That's what a management plan is. And then typically it's an activity schedule that says, hey, you've got some nice, young, healthy trees here. If you remove these other trees, it'll help speed up that progress and make your woods healthy um, and so on and so forth. Or if you want to do a harvest, it may make sense in the next five years or whatever that would be. It just gives you a general guidelines as to how to move forward with your woodland.
0: So a a woods would have weeds, just like a production field, whether it's a hayfield has weeds, cornfield might have weeds. What might be a species that slows down having value of timber in
2: in a woods? A weed comes down to how you define it. So as for different woodland owners, different trees may be weeds. I think the one thing we can all agree on, most of our non-native invasive species are weeds. And down here, things like tree of heaven and polonia are an issue. So those would be universally considered to be weeds. But depending on your goals, if they're non, if they're species that typically don't have commercial value, those would have lower priority than those that would. Things like white oak and black walnut on the right sites are what you would want to manage for. Um, So it would really depend on your site and your site conditions as to how you would classify those trees as to whether they're weeds or not.
1: So Dave, I've had a lot of questions about loggers coming to, uh, you know, different people's properties and woodlands talking about, Hey, I can come in and offer you this thousands of dollars. And that thousands of dollars is very attractive when, you know, you're looking at woodlands that a lot of people don't even use. Uh, What's the benefit from, Uh, You know, making these plans rather than just taking what the loggers offer you.
2: So, when I go back and think about presentations on selling timber, one comes to mind, and that's um, Randy Heiligman. He was kind of my mentor when I first came on to Extension, and he had this little old slide with this cartoon character, and it was a dollar sign on the tree, and the, the foresters or the landowners stand there scratching their head. And he always said, How do I know if it's a good decision? to sell timber or even this tree if I don't know what it's worth. And when that logger knocks on the door, which is what initiates a lot of timber sales, a landowner is kind of in the dark. They don't know what they've got. They don't know how much of it they've got, and they don't know what it's worth. So that plan helps you down that path to know what you've got and what those resources are. And then that's the real key to getting started, and that's what that forester who is representing you in that transition in that transaction from start to end is is representing you if you're just dealing with a logger and it's not to say they're being dishonest it just means that you're in the blind you're in a you're in a transaction and you really don't know what you're getting into and really foresters are trained differently than loggers they're trained to help you grow and manage your trees to reach your objectives loggers are critical to get the trees from your woods to the market but there are two different roles, and I think that's important for people to understand.
0: There's probably some credentials uh, that go along with a forester and maybe even the loggers. Are, there there, are What kind of credentials would, would a landowner look for when I get a postcard in the mail probably three times a year just at my personal home uh, from various companies? Uh, and so what might I look for as far as credentials.
2: So with foresters credentials, the, the state of Ohio, you can be a forester. Anybody can hang up a shingle and say, I'm a forester and put a, are there yellow pages anymore, Bruce? I don't know, but they used to put their ads in the yellow pages, right? <laughs> What's a so yellow ne- page. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. Josh. I, 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 knew know, Josh. I knew that was coming too. <laughs> um, marketplace. I don't know, online somewhere, but so anybody can call themselves a forester and legally be okay. But the standard in Ohio, there's really two, the Ohio Society of American Foresters. So the Society of American Foresters is an organization that credentials foresters. And so you want to look for someone that has a forestry degree from an accredited university. So in addition to the Society of American Foresters, we also have the Association of Consulting Foresters. And I know there's a lot of information. We're going to give folks a webpage called beforeyoucut.com that will have links to all these resources that we're talking about. So you can find a directory of the Society of American Foresters in Ohio, and you can find a Association of Consulting Foresters directory on that same page at callbeforeyoucut.com. As far as loggers, there is credentialing through the Ohio Forestry Association in Ohio. There are master loggers in Ohio who are trained, who have their credentials to log. Doesn't mean you have to be credentialed as a master logger in Ohio. But it's a way to know, okay, these are these are folks that are in the game for the long haul. They've taken the time to get trained. They are members of local loggers chapters, and they have the ability to do this in the right way.
1: So Dave, looking at, you know, choosing your trees, which trees you should you know, cut down and sell for timber. I kind of, you know, from the trainings that I've been to, I kind of think of it as baking a cake. When's the perfect time to pull that cake out of the oven. So whenever we're choosing our trees carefully, when is like the best time to choose a tree? When do we know it's ready? And when do we, you know, when, when can we get the most efficient price out of it?
2: That's a, that's a great question and it gets more complicated because our stands are not uniform. So you have to look at individual trees and then you have to look at the, the whole woodlot as a whole to see if it makes sense. But if you really think about it, trees increase value as they get bigger. That's pretty obvious. As, as a tree gets bigger, it has more wood in it, more board feet in it. So obviously, if it goes from 100 board feet to 200 board feet, and it's a white oak, and it's worth so much a board foot, it's going to double in value. And so we're going to see that increase over time just as it gets bigger. But what most people don't realize is as it gets to certain sizes, it can jump up in value per board foot as well. So if you're cutting for firewood, you don't care how big it is. It's going to have the same basic value per, per, per cubic foot if you're talking firewood or cord. But to be, for instance, really high quality salt timber, it's got to be a certain size. And if it's smaller than that, they can't utilize it. To be veneer, it's got to be a little bit bigger size and have quality. If it's not meeting those minimum size requirements, you're going to not be able to reach that. So you need to have a forester to look at that tree to say, what's its potential when it gets mature? What's its potential use? And then you need to understand where those breakoffs are. A lot of people cut trees before they're ready. Um, and if they do, they'll never reach that potential. So you might get less than half the price per board foot if you cut it too early. So it's real critical to time that right. And, and the difference between firewood value and veneer value is orders of magnitude. So cutting it a couple of years too early could really cost you quite a bit of money. And by waiting a few years, you could double the value of an individual tree just as it reaches that potential size.
0: So it sounds like we're at that point where you kind of pre- prepped us on call before you cut. And that's a nice phrase to consider, but it's also that website that our listeners can go and say, okay, now, okay, I'm interested. I may not be doing, I uh, have paid in maybe as much attention to my woods as possible. I've walked it. It seems like there's value there. It's, it's great. I enjoy every aspect of the woods. But callbeforeyoucut.com, you mentioned. Um, sounds like a great resource to get people started, connected with
2: help. It, it is. And that was the original intent. It actually started in Athens County, Ohio, as a little trifold brochure. And there were actually phone numbers in it, Josh. And these were landlines. They weren't just mobile phones where you could text people. But um, as soon as they printed that thing, it was out of date because it was a list of all the people that can help you with selling timber. So back in the early 2000s, Division of Forestry approached us about making this a statewide effort. Um, And a little bit later, several states jumped on board. So Call Before You Cut, when you go to that site, is going to give you a map with nine or ten states. And you'll click on Ohio. But it's not a site to convince you to cut timber or not cut timber. It's a site to hook you up with the people and the resources that can help you make a good decision. So it's callbeforeyoucut.com. It's C-A-L-L, the letter B, the number 4, the letter U, cut.com. There's also an 800 number. That's one eight seven seven four two four eight two eight eight. 424 That's one 424 8288 If you go online, you go to that site. It's got a wealth of resources from how to find a forester to how to go about selling timber. Um, And it's all right there in one-stop shop. If you call the number, they'll either email you or mail you a packet of information to help you with that decision-making.
0: So this business of call before you cut and actually cutting probably involves a contract between me as the landowner that has the asset, the resource with maybe potentially the the buyer or the logger that is going to receive the natural resource. What kind of, you know, should we be scared of a contract uh, in in this type of business?
2: I would be scared of a contract if it's on a napkin, but if it's a well-written contract by someone that's representing you, that's experienced in forest management, a forester that does that for a living, it's there to protect you and your resource. So it's important to get all the key aspects into that contract. Who owns it? Who's buying it? Who's selling it? All that. But, but also, how are we going to identify the trees that are for sale? Things like, uh, I've got 100 acres of woods. Which trees are for sale? A lot of people, it's from basically property boundary to property boundary. Any tree the logger wants is for sale. What we'd recommend is to, on the map, draw the harvest boundary, which is part of the contract, and then identify the trees that are for sale. And what we highly recommend is that all trees that are for sale are painted or marked. In most cases, actually put a paint mark on the tree up about eye height or a little higher and one at the stump. And then as that forester goes through the woods, they're tallying those trees. They're, they're saying, I've got a red oak that's 18 inches in diameter and two logs tall. And there's basically a sale bill being created. So you've got a list of trees for sale. You've got it indicated how they're marked. You've got things like, well, what if another tree that's not marked is damaged? How does that happen? You know, how do you deal with that? Sometimes that can happen and it can't be avoided. But if it happens too frequently, the landowner is losing future potentials. So a lot of times there's a clause to say if you damage unmarked trees, it's treble value that you're going to pay for it. And the consulting forester is in, is involved with that decision on how much that tree's may is worth and how much is going to be reimbursed for that. But lots of considerations, things like does the logger have liability insurance and workers comp on the loggers that are on your property to protect the landowner from things that could happen? Um, What happens after the sale as far as cleanup and best management practices so we don't have erosion or we minimize that and the property is reclaimed after the logging operation? So contract is really key. And and probably the piece that most people don't think about is how you're going to get paid. Um, A lot of times, unfortunately, the common practice is a percentage sale where the logger just says, I'll take what I'm going to harvest. And the landowner gets a percentage and the logger gets a percentage. And oftentimes it's 50-50. And I don't know if that's a fair deal or not, because I don't know the property and the quality. What we recommend is the landowner has the trees painted that are for sale. They have a lump sum sale. They actually have a process where Potential buyers look at the woods, the buyers look at the woods, they do a sealed bid on the timber that's for sale, and then there's an opening and the landowner and the forester can decide which logger gets the bid. Normally it's the high bid, but if the logger and the, or the company that buys it doesn't have the greatest reputation, the landowner can pass and say, I'll take a little bit lower bid just because I know this person has a better reputation as a logger in a company based on the folks I've talked to. So a lot of good things to think about. It's complicated. It's something you do maybe once or twice in your lifetime and something you can't know all the ins and outs of. So getting a professional forester to represent you in the process is really key to getting a satisfactory job.
1: So Dave, if someone wanted to learn more about you know timber harvesting, anything managing their woodlands, is there any other resources they could reach out to learn more, any type of programs that go on throughout the state?
2: So far as online things, um, Call Before You Cut is the place to go. It takes you to all the extension resources and the web pages and the fact sheets and so on. But you, it's also good to go to classes and interact with foresters. And Ohio Woodland Stewards Program offers programs on harvesting timber. And then here in Southern Ohio, we do quite a bit of outreach through our Day in the Woods program. And we're doing a lot of programming locally through. With all the partners extension soil and water division of forestry nrcs and so on are collaborating on programming at the local level too so stay in touch um, and follow these web pages and ask your local extension educators where they can get more information is a great place to to get started the only other thing i'd like to mention is with call before you cut um, i get all the requests that come in online and if they come in by phone division of forestry copies me on those. And I would much rather answer questions about selling timber prior to the harvest than after the harvest. When you get the call from a landowner that says, I've had a timber harvest. I'm not happy with the way it looks. I'm not happy with the way I was paid or I didn't get paid in full. You can't really do a lot about that. But with call before you cut and proper planning with the involvement of your service forester, your consulting forester, and following the recommended steps to do it, usually the outcome is much better. And frankly, a sealed bid sale that's competitive, and, and I want to emphasize competitive, because a lot of people will sell timber based on the one knock on the door. And And I uh, like to use the analogy of an auction. So if you go to an auction and you have one bidder, it's a pretty good deal if you're you're the bidder, right? But if you're the seller, that's not a good situation. And so what we want is as many legitimate companies at the table bidding on the resource that you're selling, making it competitive. And if you have a competitive process with Mark trees, you're not going to be surprised by the outcome. It's going to look different. It's not always pretty right away, but you're going to have a good outcome if you do it that way. If you don't do it that way, who knows what's going to happen?
0: David, this is great advice. I, I think it reaches to all corners of Ohio and beyond as far as where this resource is going to benefit our landowners. It doesn't matter if I have 10 acres of woods, two acres of woods, 200 acres of timber or woods. Uh, this resource is awesome. And I can't thank you enough for for being on today.
2: Appreciate it, Bruce. Um, I always like to be an advocate for the woods and the forest in Ohio. The forest in Ohio occupy about one third of the state's land area. And they contribute to a forest economy that's phenomenal. It's, a, it's around $30 billion industry a year, which is about a quarter of the ag industry as a whole, but it doesn't get a lot of attention. And so that industry is really important for landowners and farmers like us, but it's also important for employment. Um, right up the road, we have a company that makes bourbon barrels and it employs people. And that adds to our local economy. And that's true throughout all of Ohio. You get up into Amish country and you look at how much furniture is made there and what that contributes to our economy and to employment. So our our woods are a great resource and I'd love to see them utilized in a sustainable way. But if we don't do it sustainably, then that's not a long-term thing that we can keep going. So it's important to do it right.
1: Thanks, Dave, for coming to us. We'd like to recognize Dave. Dave was actually awarded the Cardinal Award up at the Ohio State Fair this year. So it was a great honor for him to receive that award.
2: Thanks, Josh. It's been great being on with you and Bruce, and appreciate the opportunity. Hi, this is Johnny Schmidt, a National Tree Farmer of the Year. Like an old friend, your woodland has spent a lifetime with you. And if you've ever considered looking to your old friend for income, contact a professional forester and use a master logger. They'll help ensure you receive the best financial return while retaining the health of your woodland. Remember, call before you cut. For more information, call toll-free 877-424-8288. That number,
0: 877-424-8288. Thanks for listening today.
1: For more information about farm management tips, be sure to check out the Farm Office at farmoffice.osu.edu.